I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, up and way home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I fake a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way. That's when Red Sox Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. Also on Periscope, the iTunes link is up above the video window. You can click that, subscribe, give us a rating if uh, you would be so kind. And uh, like I said, available everywhere. Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Houston Astros. Again, coming into the final game, needing to win it to avoid a sweep. We will... Break all of that down momentarily. I am Terry Cushman and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and tonight, Al Nahigian. How are you, gentlemen? I'm doing okay. Doing Can't right. complain. Can't complain, yeah. Well, we could complain about the Red Sox, that's for sure. Um, Al just... I uh, plan to. <laughs> As always, uh, Al, just uh, if you just want to give uh, the audience a quick rundown, I'm, I'm guessing most of them are fairly familiar, but where can they uh, find you across uh, Red Sox Nation? As far as Red Sox Nation goes, if you want to see me passively, aggressively tweet <laughs> about the Red Sox at certain times, uh, go check me out on Twitter at BigAl2793, capital B, capital A. I also do a couple podcasts, one with Couch Guy Sports, co-host with Jared Scally, uh, Into the Triangle podcast, talk everything Red Sox and miscellaneous stuff in between, and then do another independent project, uh, the Legends Lingo podcast. Both those podcasts can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, wherever else a podcast can be heard. So go give it a listen, please. I would appreciate it. Okay, and I would encourage everyone to do just that. Uh, All right, so um, we'll get into Heroes and Zeros here. Kind of a similar feel as last weekend. You know, the series had basically the same trajectory, so there's plenty to discuss throughout each segment. So, uh, Al, uh, go ahead and lead us off with your hero. Uh, my hero, plain and simple, is going to be Eduardo Rodriguez. Obviously, the Red Sox needed a big start. Needed to not get swept by the Astros in Houston and to go out there and give up. You know, or I'm sorry, to go in there and to pitch six innings and give up one run, five strikeouts along the way. Uh, it's definitely, it was definitely a good sign for the Red Sox and obviously great when a starting pitcher can go into Houston and put up those numbers against one of the best lineups in baseball. 
So, Eddie Rodriguez, you're my hero today. That's a good choice. And, you know, I tweeted out before the uh, start of uh, today's game, I said, well, the Red Sox lost the two games that they were probably supposed to win based on the matchups. And so I said, what are the chances, you know, we can win the game we're supposed to lose today? And Rodriguez was phenomenal, I thought. And he'd been kind of, you know, trending downward. He gave up at least a six spot to the Blue Jays. And we just weren't in that game. It was extremely ugly. Alex Cora, interestingly, went out to the mound to consult with him and not Dana Levangie. I speculated maybe he was tipping his pitches. Alex Cora, after that game, uh, basically said he didn't want to get into it. That's not something he could get into. I don't know if he really was or not, but tonight against, uh, or this afternoon against a much better team, he kind of, you know, reversed his momentum and and had a, a very solid outing. So, we're going to win the division. We need uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, Rodriguez to be pretty solid. Uh, Jeremy, any thoughts on Rodriguez? Yeah, it's just it's probably the last guy I would expect to be the stopper, but that's what he was today. This is the Kurt Schilling start. This is the Pedro start. Um, you know, it's uh, you know good teams uh, have you know you got to have someone that steps up and says this thing ends today and. Uh, I, I, for a long time, have been very skeptical about Erod's ability to do that, um, especially because the first two guys in the series are supposed to be that guy, and Sale wasn't great, and then Price asked out of the game because of the flu, I guess. Um, so uh, I was kind of watching today's game with one eye open, waiting for something real bad to happen, and he gives up the first run, but... That was that, and a really good start, and a really important start, and a, and a quintessential stopper type start from someone. You probably have fourth on the list as as the guy expected to be able to do it. He he does have a pattern though of sort of showing up for big games. I mean, we saw it in the World Series. He pitches very well against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, and he stepped up today and. I don't want to compare him to Derek Lowe or anything, but we saw Lowe step up in some big games and, you know, but was basically a middle of the rotation guy for his entire career. And I don't know. I just, uh, it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to see, you know, he, he lowers your expectations against the bad team, but shows up one start later and, uh, you know, was extremely impressive. So, yeah. Any other thoughts, uh, or we can move on to your uh, hero, Jeremy. Uh, my hero is Devers. Um, just kind of what he's done, and then uh, to encapsulate his year so far, he was off game one. Um, game two, he was three for four with a run scored and a double, and then today he was two for four with a run scored uh, and the home run. So he had an RBI. So he was five for nine on the series. On the year, he's hitting three thirty. He's uh, OPS is nine oh one. All of a sudden, he's got seven home runs. Uh, probably thirty days ago, maybe twenty to twenty five days ago, I had him as my zero and eviscerated him for his lack of power. Uh, he's quickly corrected that. He's got thirty uh, ribbies. He's scored thirty seven runs. 
and he has seven stolen bases, um, which may have something to do with the runs. Um, I mean, he's been really, really good. He's been really consistent um, for a guy that you can criticize on defense. He's he's really uh, been very consistent offensively, and then recently he's made a couple plays where you expect him to maybe not make the play. Uh, a couple of, you know, uh, he had one, I think it was yesterday, behind the bag at third that he rounded or squared off behind it, put his foot in the ground and threw an absolute strike, where I said to myself, wow, that, you know, that was fairly routine uh, from a guy who finds routine plays objectionable. So I think he's really locked in. I liked his quote today. Um Someone said something about, you know, are you considering yourself one of the best third basemen in baseball right now? And his answer was, you know, basically, uh, it was, I can't remember the exact response, Terry. If you have it, you, you'll let me know. But his response was great. It was, you know, he didn't buy into the fuel. I mean, a lot of egos are getting stoked by that type of question. And offensively, I think he is one of the top, you know, five third basemen. He's certainly not Bregman. Um, but, you know, he's he's been really good. His mindset seems to be appropriate, and he is improving defensively. So uh, for today, my hero is Rafi Devers. Yeah, the guy's hitting 330 on the season. I just I, – I had a, a live stream. I try to do a few a week, and I, I said that, you know, Devers, I think, is kind of closing the gap on Bregman, and I conceded right away that – you know, Bregman is the better player and might still be the better player when their respective careers end. But, I mean, after last year, you're looking at Bregman like a like an MVP candidate. And I, I don't know if Devers, you know, what his ceiling is as far as this year goes. But he's been the, one of the steadier bats on the team, you know, especially lately with Martinez having some problems with his back. And... I just, I love what I'm seeing, and I, I, I see a guy who just loves playing baseball, you know, and it's it's just nice to see, and we haven't really had a, you know, a, a great third baseman really since Mike Lowell, you know, you played on both sides of the, um, you know, the infield and was, was very good despite being injury prone, and we just really haven't had anyone, and and so I think we finally have that guy who's gonna, you know, be that player. And uh, <laughs> I'm a big Devers guy. He he aggravates the hell out of me sometimes with his defense, but like you said, that's improving. And you know, there's less and less to complain about. So, Al, any thoughts on Devers? As far as Devers goes, I mean, he's typically a guy that. For some reason, I don't fall in love with him as quickly as a lot of other people might. Now, granted, I've started to like him a lot more lately because, as Jeremy said, the power numbers have been up, the average is up. Everything seems to be going in an upward direction, which is obviously what we want to see out of a young third baseman. Everybody makes the jokes on social media that, oh, he's 13, 14 years old, you know, making fun of his age. But for such a young kid, he just has this presence in the batter's box that just – it's unseen for a kid his age, which is amazing because when I see his swing, I'm like, what's the big deal about this guy? But then when he starts to drive and runs and be consistent, that's where I'm like, okay, there's something to this kid. And maybe his ceiling, like you just said, Terry, could be potentially higher than we even think it could be. So hopefully Devers can continue along this path and uh, continue to be a run producing guy for the Red Sox, along with Chavis and those young guys. So, 
How, how big of a reach is this? Because I always joke how I'm early to the party, and, you know, lately that's worked out okay, but he's a lefty, you know, he's kind of a stocky guy. We had one of those play for us for 13 years, epic postseason legend. Can he kind of be like a smaller stature of David Ortiz? No, I don't think so. I personally don't think so. I don't think anybody can replace what Ortiz did for this Red Sox team and what he did for the city of Boston. I think that's just asking way too much. And now, granted, does he have some similar uh, at-bats? Does he have a few similar tendencies that Ortiz might have? Sure. But I just I think that might be stretching it a little too far. Yeah, and I maybe the better way to put it was, could he instill a similar fear in in opposing pitchers as Big Poppy? Now he doesn't have the intimidation factor that Poppy had. You know, he's kind of a goofy, affable kid. But I don't know. I just. He, you know, physically, they're very similar, and they hit from the same side of the plate. And, uh, you know, and the home runs weren't there earlier this year, and he's starting to lift them more. The ball, a lot of his home runs previously were line drive home runs. He's starting to lift them, and he's, you know, he's crushing them. So I don't know. I just, I just wanted to throw that out there just in case anyone else makes the comparison. Jeremy, any, any thoughts before I get to mine? I mean, you're you're big reach. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't know how to respond to this. I mean, one, I mean, my initial reaction is to not respond at all because it's so fucking ridiculous that it's. Jeremy, like, just help me time. out. Just just help me out. That's all I ask. Help me out. Um, I mean, look, my initial reaction is to eviscerate Terry for the stupidity of the comment, but I'm not going to do that. So credit <laughs> to me. Okay. All the credit in the world. But, but so. In keeping with credit to me, I'm going to take it seriously somewhat and just say that, one, one of the reasons why Ortiz was Ortiz was his leadership uh, behind the scenes and the way that people respected him. And, um, he like, Devers is just a kid. He's just not there. And I don't – he doesn't seem to have – if he grows into that, that'd be kind of surprising to me. Um, not saying that he can't, but it just seems like he's kind of the affable – clueless guy who just likes to show up and play uh and then on offense terry kind of in the middle of it changed it to well does he strike fear in the minds of the pitching and you take him seriously but the thing with ortiz was every big hit i mean it seemed like you know he hit like 750 in in impossibly huge at bats and uh raffy devers has not developed any sort of that legacy yet um but he's what he's you know he's got a he's got a really good powerful swing uh sometimes it, it, there's too much movement in it and i get worried that he's capable of long slumps including slumps that include a lot of strikeouts as a result of the extra movement but Thank his you, hands his hands you're welcome i'm here for you al i'm here for you uh his hands are elite like his and, and i was actually looking at his bat speed um, and some of the exit velocity statistics because I'm a nerd, and it's impressive. I'm not going to – but at the end of the day, that stuff only gets you so far. You're going to have barreled balls, and right now he he's barreling balls one or two a game, and, you know, he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark, seven home runs in a hurry. 
uh, if he keeps this pace and and because he didn't hit a home run in the first month of the season, I mean the sky's the limit. But you know, I, I just Ortiz's Ortiz was minimal effort, minimal minimal extra, and it was just hand the ball and in the biggest moments. And and the other thing with Ortiz was he could hit a ball around Pesky's pole in his second at bat and in his third at bat hit one Oppo Taco ten feet inside left field pole. You know, in the second uh, row of the monster seats, and there's just not a lot of guys that can do it the way he could. So I just, you know, again, credit to me because otherwise I would like to just eviscerate the question. Well, how about a, the plate discipline too with Ortiz? Nobody talks about that in the big situations. He wasn't chasing these bad pitches. And with Devers, my fear is he loves to chase high fastballs and chase curveballs in the dirt. So how can we say that he's going to strike fear if pitchers can literally throw their pitches and Devers is chasing? Well, that's a good point, and um, some guys like Nomar was was a chaser guy, you know. But that Vlad Guerrero is another example of that. Vlad and Guerrero, you didn't... Vlad Guerrero swung at anything, so we. we got right, well, hold on, Al. Let me let me make my point before you you jump down my my throat there, which is fine. <laughs> but let me just finish my point so you at least have all the information to attack me. Fair, got um, Those guys were who they were in part by their aggressive nature at the plate. Like Vladimir famously hit a, a ball off a one hop for a base hit. Nomar, um, you know, just didn't walk, would hit balls that are impossibly out of the strike zone. And um, it's what made them great. Obviously, Nomar is a steroid guy, but, um, you know, I, I don't think for me it takes away the fact that that's just the way he was offensively. I, I was, again, looking at Rafi Devers' hit chart, and he, uh, his exit velocities are all red except for up and in and up middle. But the crazy thing to me was that he has a red hit zone up and away, meaning pitches that are up and away and not strikes, he has an elite level exit velocity. I mean, so that just, again, goes to his raw talent, but again, goes to the point that like, he's not going to be overly patient. Terry has commented a number of times during uh, the podcast so far that he has improved, and I agree with that. We don't need him to be 110 walks a season guy. Um, and honestly, asking that of him would take away from what he is, which is a guy who has a a plus exit velocity on balls out, up and away out of the strike zone. So, you know, you got to take the player for what he is. He's not, you know, going to be Ortiz with the with the plate discipline. Ortiz was really, really good, and uh, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, let's just take these players as they are. And a lot of people love doing that. And, and um, I'm not a huge fan of like, you know, like for for example, in basketball, everyone's always like, for as long as I've been a fan of basketball, everyone's like, who's the next MJ? I don't really get into that debate. To me, it's just who's the next great player, you know, who's going to fill in the shoes. So it'd be nice if it's going to be Devers following the uh, Ortiz footsteps, but I don't see it. Well, I'd like to just actually, I had a chance to dig up some stuff here, and uh, I'm, I'll am i fully concede that, you know, I am jumping the gun here, um, and totally cool, and I think this has been a, a good segment because I jumped the gun. But one of the things I did notice about Devers when he hit his first career home run off of Aroldis Chapman in the month of August, when that was the first home run that Chapman had given up all season, I was thinking, man, this guy, that was pretty clutch. And he continued to be clutch 
uh, throughout the postseason that year. You know, one of the better bats, I think, him and Ben Intendi. And we're looking at a small sample size here for Devers in the postseason. It's only 15 games. But he is hitting uh, at a 311 average with a 373 OBP slugging percentage, 511 with an 884 OPS. He smashed three home runs in those 15 starts, knocked in 14. So I'm just saying I'm, I'm really impressed. And a lot of that was taking place when he was very much a fundamentally flawed player. And now he's getting to be more polished. He's getting to be robust. And he's been one of the top performers. So I'm excited about him for, for much of the things uh, I said about earlier. Uh, so anyway, those are those are my final thoughts on Devers. Uh, my uh, my hero for the series is going to be Colton Brewer. Uh, put in a really tough spot. David Price only lasted uh, 15 pitches, faced two batters. Brewer hasn't been that good for much of the year. His earned run average is up over five, and I think it's even in the upper fives. And, you know, kind of a curveball specialist. If he's not locating that, he's not going to have a very good outing. And he was phenomenal, considering he had to come in in the first inning against one of the best teams in the league. Probably the best team. I know the Twins have the best record, but um, not in the best division. Um and, you know, he, he got seven outs uh, on five hits. He only struck out one, but did not give up any runs. So uh, credit to him. He got optioned today because his pitch count was up around 40, and uh, they wanted a, a fresh arm that could possibly, you know, give some, uh, you know, longer innings where we didn't really know what we were going to get from Erod based on his last start. So Darwin's and Hernandez uh, got the call up. Um, you know, to help facilitate that. But Brewer, nonetheless, was phenomenal. I think he'll probably be back within the next day or two if it hasn't happened already. But I was impressed, and it, it set the tone for a really good night, you know, as far as the bullpen went. You know, Hembry was good, and Barnes, unfortunately, was not. But, you know, you can't he can't be the hero every time, and... and and um, so, yeah. Any any thoughts on Brewer? I this is one of those rare moments where I kind of like your take and I like your hero, <laughs> and I think it's uh, I'd be restating a lot of what you said. You know, it's not an impossible. It's it's a really difficult spot, and the guy absolutely stepped up, kept them in the game. They actually wound up tying the game as a result of his efforts. And then, you know, thank you for your time, your option, because like you said, you know, we don't, we know we can't use you tomorrow and we need a healthy arm. So <laughs> sports could be so <laughs> cutthroat and ruthless. He'll be back. He's obviously car carving a uh, rollout for himself, so he'll be back. But, uh, you know, agree. I agree mostly with what you said there. Uh, Al, if you have no uh, thoughts, you can just go right into your uh, zero for the series. Yeah, I think it was pretty much all covered with Brewer. And obviously, any bullpen arm that is efficient is a win for the Red Sox. Anyways, uh, zero for me. I've said it before. I'll say him again, and I really don't care that I repeat myself. Jackie Bradley Jr. It, it just gets so sickening watching him go up to the plate, especially with runners in scoring position. He always looks lost at the plate. 
it doesn't it, you just feel it deep within your bones and everything that you have that you just know he's not going to come through yeah he had the great lcs last year but you know what last year was last year everyone was saying coming in this year oh he's improving his swing he's working with jd martinez you know it, and all that i haven't seen it i don't continue to see it so i'm just getting sick of him being the zero that he really is in my book that's just me at the plate of course not defensive it's becoming a dead horse. Hard to disagree. I'm, I'm ready for that era to end. And, you know, we've got prospects close to being ready, and we got enough guys that are uh, plenty serviceable as far as defense goes and, and um, you know, plenty of offense throughout the lineup. Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, with JBJ, I mean, it is like kicking a dead horse, but the dead horse keeps going 0 for 4. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> like, just sit there. there and be, just sit there and be dead, and we'll stop kicking you. But you keep like having a leg twitch, and it's like, all right, well, let's kick him again. I, he sucks. I'm just so done with him. And I, part of the reason why I'm so frustrated with him is because the 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 the, the program stays behind him based on his defense alone and i just i've gone on i don't want to also be a dead horse with saying the same things i've said on this this guy but just briefly they they overvalue his defense they've overpaid him for his defense uh whatever he's getting eight to nine and a half million or whatever it is this year it's a joke he sucks offensively he's not coming out of it and we got you know we got the 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 state propaganda with oh he's changed his swing and he's done and this and that well it made his swing impossibly worse so i mean i just he sucks uh i there's enough athletes out there that can go play defense and give you something again we have two of them here ben and and bets are both capable of playing not plus plus center field like bradley but plus center field you know meaning they, they're not capable of winning a gold glove out there i don't think um but um, you know, they're definitely good defensive players. So I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like they're just waiting for somebody to force their hand here and no one has. Um, but I mean, Jackie Bradley said, and by the way, and just for transparency, what he did with Eckersley and the, the, the fake photo opportunity to eviscerate Neither Eckersley behind his back on Instagram, uh, will always have me sideways with this. Bitch. That rubs me uh, the wrong way as well. That's a that's a good observation. I mean, it's just such a bitch move, honestly, Terry. We talked about it while you were at overseas, uh, to the point where I was, I was ethering him to the point where I think it was Steph was like, "All right, Jeremy, um, can you stop now?" And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, yeah, sure, sure, let's move on." Like it was that. Like I was just so go back and listen to those if you want or that segment if you but you know to try to keep it as brief as possible that that was such a bitch move and i'll never forgive him for it because in my mind stuff like that and when you don't apologize for it is an indication of who you are and professional athletes uh some of them like jackie bradley jr for example are really good about hiding who they are in the public eye and when we get glimpses like that to me it's a glimpse into who they are which is a petty little douche um so anyways, anyone else on JBJ or should I hit my zero? I go he ahead stinks, with it. End of story. Yeah. Well, he stinks and he's a douche, so it's a, it's a two-headed monster. Uh my my um zero is is Xander. I, I I think he smartly was given a day off today, and I think a lot of his struggles recently and in the series are a result of them leaning so heavily on him. Um 
game two, I'm sorry, game one, he had two really bad errors. One of them was when things were already kind of going sideways for sale. He, I can't remember the inning, but it was early, maybe the third inning. And he just misplayed a ball where he like turned a long hop into a short hop, which could have been a double play. And it, I was just like I was baffled by the decision to play the ball the way he did, um, and I I felt like it was uh, a, a little bit of a sh- sign that he's either fatigued or whatever because it was just such a bad decision. And the thing about Xander, and we talked about this, he's not going to make the play in the hole like Jeter. You know, he's not uh, a, a superior center uh, shortstop as, as far as range, but he's so good at the balls at him. He's so consistent. Um, and he just he hasn't been recently. He's had some uncharacter uncharacteristic mistakes. Also had a throwing error. Did hit the home running game one, so that you know, kind of you know, I'm not saying I'm not you know. And he's one of our best players. I'm just pointing out uh, some struggles here. And then yesterday he went 0 for 4 with three Ks and left three people on base in a game they ultimately lost by one run after tying it late. And then today he, I think, smartly got the day off. By the way, I would find a way to get him another day off here within the next week. He's got to be healthy, happy, and fresh to uh, to, to, to get this team back. We've talked with Terry. We, you and I have talked about this uh, probably about three weeks ago where uh, days off, one day off helps the other six days. So guy playing seven days, the days aren't as good. And so you get a little less production. One One day off makes the other six that much better. And with Xander, it seems like to me that Cora's finally with today kind of waved the right flag on admission that, you know, he's got to find ways to give Xander a blow here and there. Well, I'm wondering, just off the top of my head, I mean, who do we have for depth? I mean, you know, Nunez and Chavis are kind of handling the workload as far as second base. Hoop. Who played there today at short? Nunez. Um, Jeez. I, I, I totally agree because Nunez is an absolute dumpster fire defensively. Um, coincidentally, they didn't have um, any errors today. But um, the guy that that guy that's if he was active uh, would help the situation is Zhu Wei Lin. Um, we've talked about Zhu Wei a lot. I've talked about Zhu Wei a lot. I love his sp- on the roster despite the fact that he's an automatic out because he plays everywhere and he's really really sound defensively if Zhu Weilin was up I think you may see another couple days off but Nunez is not a shortstop he's really not a big league defender um, so it puts him in a bind because they by the way could you imagine what would happen if X got hurt for like two weeks what we would do that <laughs> would be pretty I catastrophic mean, yeah. oh my god people would start running for the fire exits yeah. Um, so again, but that's my that's another part of my point, which is you run this guy into the ground, and either he's not going to be productive, but on the field because he's shown his toughness, and he's going to stay on the field. But you know, assuming that, I mean, you you could run him into a serious injury, and now that he's been paid, maybe he handles it differently. Although he just doesn't seem like that type of guy. Um, I'm a huge Xander guy. Love Bogarts. Love the everything about the contract. The fact that he wanted to stay here despite Boris's. I think he's a great player. He's been one of our best players, but for the last, you know, probably week to ten days, he's been uncharacteristically not consistent. Yeah, and that one play where he uh, decided to go to home rather than attempt the double play, which would have ended the inning, um, 
was one of the most catastrophic defensive blunders we've seen all season because it allowed Bregman to go from first to third. You know, Diaz ended up scoring, you know, immediately, and then and then Bregman went to third. And then Marisnik was caught in a, a rundown, and, and Chavis and, and Pierce couldn't get the out. And it was mostly because Pierce wasn't, you know, on the bag. And it just, so many things went wrong in that play. And then I think one more run scored uh, after that. And that that blunder cost us the game. Only four hits were given up that whole game. Three from Sale, and I think the other one was from uh, Walden. So it was a four-hit loss for us. And and I did a, a live stream earlier in the week where I'm saying Xander has to be better because he's got Devers on one side of him. He's got Chavis on the other. You know, neither one of those guys are elite defenders. And, and you know, Pierce and especially Moreland are, are pretty good at, at first. But, you know, while Pedroia's out, and it might be forever, you know, Bogarts has to be kind of the infield captain and, and you know, and, and, and make better decisions and, and, you know, be more solid, I guess. And that's not what we saw the other night. So, and the other thing too was we had a terrible game in the series last weekend, and that was mostly with the outfield. So, and and my big complaint was, you know, these guys have to show up and and act like they've been there before, and because they have been there before, and and then you know, and then it didn't happen, and uh, you know, and that was the first game of this series. So we just we got off on the bat a bad foot and. You know, it did kind of center around uh, Bogarts, and he also had another error as well. And that ball was was difficult anyway because of the hop that it took. But he had two errors in one game, and um, I don't know. So it, I'm sure it's an anomaly. But like I said, he's basically the infield captain for now. And uh, yeah. So any thoughts, Al, on Bogarts? As far as Bogarts goes, I think the main thing that people always questioned before last year was his durability throughout an entire season. And people would always say, well, it looked like in August and September that he was tired because he was playing so many games, and that's why he petered out at the end of those years. Now, granted, obviously, he had the season he had last year. That's why he got the contract that he did this offseason. But the whole thing is that you know, we're starting to maybe question a little bit about his durability in late May, early June, or going to be early June, and it's just, that's a little bit of a red flag to me. I do like Bogarts a lot. Again, I'm not, uh, Bogarts is a guy that I don't love as much as everybody else does. It's not that I don't like him, I just think with the durability aspect, it makes me a little hesitant to really get on that next level of liking him to where I feel comfortable that he's going to be a core guy for years to come. Yeah, I put I put a lot of that on Cora. Um, we we talked about we talked about on this podcast back when it was the fire fire Farrell program about how Farrell was so concerned about his job and, and job security that he'd run guys into the ground because every win was so important for him to keep his job and. That was one of the reasons why I think he lost his job. Uh, I, I think Cora could, you know, Cora's had some, he hasn't been nearly as good as he was last year. 
Um, and everything works out last year, but I think he's he's got to be better understanding that the days of Cal Ripken are over. Like you got to give these guys days off. You got to keep them fresh. Again, a day off plus the scheduled day off gives guys rest, gets them back to being a more productive player. And you'd rather have five productive days than running a guy into the ground and having what's happened in the Bogarts in the last week happen. So, you know, I think some of it's on Cora. And it's surprising because he he just won a World Series. He is, I think, a top five to six manager. But he's starting to press. And uh, I don't fault him for it. But, you know, uh, I wish that, that, at least with Bogarts being here for the next seven years, he doesn't lose sight of the fact of how important he is for this year and for basically the, the far majority of the rest of the decade. Absolutely. Um, I'll just get into mine real quick before we touch on the series uh, game by game. My my zero, and, and it hurts my heart because everybody loves this guy, is uh, Mitch Moreland. He's two for his last 17. Bases were loaded. Could have um, you know, hit the go-ahead run or multiple go-ahead runs, uh, and he struck out. Basically, what I don't like here is, you know, he's he's every bit his streaky self this year and he he, despite being clutch you know in certain spots I'm starting to like him less and less in the three and four hole you know you have got I know Benintendi struggling but that seems to happen a lot this time of year Um, but he'll come around you got Mookie you know hitting pretty well you know JD Devers has stepped up Bogarts has been pretty consistent all season I don't really see why you have to have Moreland that high in the order anymore just flip his lefty bat for Devers bat or just you know just put your best five or six you know you know in the top two-thirds of the order and and, and put Moreland down to the seven hole. And Pierce is starting to get a little bit more time where he's kind of coming around. And uh, I think he did have at least one hit today. Um, but I'm just, I'm kind of done with Moreland, you know, hitting that high. And I don't know if he's going to be here next year. It just depends on what's happening in Portland and Pawtucket. But that's my gripe anyway, as far as Moreland goes. Um, the, he was so good the first six weeks of the season that, I mean, it's he hasn't been great. And while the rest of the club has kind of gotten back to normal, he's also, unfortunately, dipped back down uh, to what his career, uh, you know, projection is. Um, I, I think, not to make excuses, because I literally just criticized Cora, um, but I think the mindset... Uh, by the by the program is the righty lefty balance and then the fact that if you're going to put too much pressure on somebody have it be on the veteran who's on the final year of his deal and maybe they're protecting some people a little bit more i mean devers did hit third today um and the way he's been playing he doesn't offensively he doesn't let it get too big um, where I, I wouldn't mind. It was so bad f- the first week of the season. Cora came out, said he's going to hit third. 
he did. He stunk. He was really bad. He was really bad defensively. Then they, they pulled him back and put him back into the 6-7 hole. So maybe we're getting ready now that he's uh, hit for the, the, the Sox to do what they wanted to do from day one, which is hit Devers third. And I mean, the guy's been awesome. We've already talked about it. Why, why not? Let, let's see what happens. And then, Terry, I, I, I also agree with the idea that maybe it takes some pressure off Moreland putting him seventh where, uh, you know, He's 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 a guy you can put in the bottom third of your lineup and hope that he can help turn the lineup over because with Bradley down there and some of the issues we've had, you know, if Leon's in the lineup, the bottom third of the lineup sucks. And if more you can get Moreland down there, take some pressure off, and he can turn your lineup over, that could be a big help. So, yeah, and I I left Chavis out. He's been uh, leading off as of late, you know, and I guess he'll continue to do so against lefties, and then Benintendi will lead off against righties. But, yeah, I, I that's just my, my thoughts. It's it's painful to see him, you know, leave the bases loaded like that. I think he might have done that in the earlier series. It was either against Toronto or, or the Houston one from last weekend. He also uh, whiffed. Mookie did the same thing. The bases were loaded, no outs even, and uh, Mookie struck out in that spot, and then Moreland came up and did the same exact thing. So he must have been hitting third that night if he was hitting behind bats. But, but all right, let's uh, let's just move on to the series real quick. We'll go through it as quickly as we can. Uh, the Chris Sale versus Wade Miley rematch uh, took place on Friday night. Chris Sale, six innings pitched, gave up three hits, two earned runs, struck out five, and those are definitely not sparkling numbers for him, but this is one of his worst teams, so I'm going to take a start like this every time against a team like this because we've definitely seen him get shelled, and two of those were in uh, playoff appearances the last couple of years. And um, so he did what he could do to keep us into the game. Miley, very quietly having a very good season as well. He went six innings, gave up four hits on one run, and uh, struck out eight of the Red Sox. And he's he's hitting three thirty two on the year. And I think that just speaks to the pitching program in Houston and how they're able to get guys' careers turned around like we've seen with Morton, and we've seen guys like uh, Brad Peacock rise up. He's having a very good year as well. Actually, we'll get into him next game. But um, so, you know, the the pitching was pretty good on both sides. And, um, you know, the defensive blunder, um, you know, kind of cost us. And, and so I guess the big, the big thing that hangs over this game is when are we going to step up? When are we going to start acting like, you know, we can take on these big teams because we saw it happen last fall. And we got another series against the Yankees coming up. And if we don't show up for that, I mean, we're just a team that's not clutch and not fundamentally sound. And I I think game one of this series kind of embodied that for the year. And we're, we're, let's see, we've lost, what, two... We've won two out of six, I guess is what I'm trying to say, against the Astros this year. We're 0-2 against the Yankees, and we got Cleveland next. We haven't played Minnesota yet, but we haven't looked good against a good team. And so 
Those were my thoughts coming into it. I wanted to see us finally reach that level, and it, and it didn't happen. And it certainly didn't happen in game one. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I, no, I had to double hit the mute button because it didn't come off the first time. Um, look, in failed seasons across all sports, usually the signs are there, okay? Uh, whether in hockey, it's just problematic goaltending, you know, uh, lack of making a big play in a, in, a, in a football game at the end of the game, you know, just losing fourth quarters. This team not beating good teams is what we're going to look at. And, and look, there's a ton of baseball left, and this team is so supremely talented that I think it's equally as likely that they get it figured out and they're in it at the end. But if they're not, and this team fails to reach the ultimate goal of winning a World Series or, let's say, making a conference, you know, the ALCS. It's going to be, we're going to look back and say they just never beat the good teams. And you have to beat the good teams to get, you know, to, to, to save yourself from the wild card game and that, you know, the wonkiness of a one-game playoff. Uh, so I have grave concerns about it. This game, you know, I've already touched on it with Xander. Um, you did a good job highlighting that problematic inning. Um, you know, ironically, the, the, the Sox scored, you know, these game, this game, the, the thing that's going to frost my ass about the series is they easily could have won all three games. So it is what it is. The, the, the Astros are very, very good. And despite the fact that they've got some injury concerns now, they made the plays in the key moments and the Red Sox didn't. And so they won two out of three, um, you know, Al. Again, like you just said, the Red Sox lost two out of three, two series in a row to the Houston Astros. You have to come up big against the big teams, and obviously everybody was thinking, myself included, that they turned a corner, they were starting to get somewhere. Yeah, they were getting wins, but they were getting wins against teams like the Chicago White Sox, the Baltimore Orioles, weren't even really an MLB team, but that's another story. But anyways, they weren't getting those wins against those quality caliber MLB teams. Houston was a great test, and to be honest with you, yeah, they could have, should have, maybe could have won, you know, at least two out of three of both series, but in reality, they didn't. They failed that test, and now they're going to have to go into a stretch with Cleveland and the Yankees coming up where they're going to have to prove their worth all over again. Uh, game two, uh, you know, kind of a messy one for the Red Sox. I, I thought we were done for when Price came out because, I mean, n n you know, eight and one-third innings is, is a lot to ask for from our bullpen. But, you know, they did the best they could to keep us in the game. Uh, Travis Lakins uh, got seven outs, but... Gave up two earned runs. He's one of our high-end prospects. Was called up in place of, uh, well, he was the corresponding move, basically, for Tyler Thornburg going on the DL. So, got knocked around a little bit there. Brad Peacock, as I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, having a, a good year. Um, this was his, I think, third out of four starts. Uh, being scoreless he went six innings gave up four hits no earned runs walked only one struck out eight he's got a 319 on the year just like i said another testament to their pitching program and i mean our starters are okay as well you know porcello and erod have done well and 
you know, sales obviously figuring it out, and who knows? So let's talk about price now. I kind of, you know, the Red Sox office lies more than, you know, a, a politician probably lies. And um, flu-like symptoms is what the reasoning was. I didn't get to watch it live, but I went back and rewatched it. He didn't look good, you know, his demeanor. He he looked like he, he was probably sick. So I'm going to kind of take that one at face value and, and say that he probably is, you know, that probably was what the issue was. But it was only a second start after being on the DL for three or four weeks, you know, tendonitis in the elbow. He did grimace pretty bad after throwing that last pitch, which sent Cora back out on the field. But do you guys have any long-term concerns about this? Or do you also feel like, you know, it, it probably is the flu and he'll be back? I, I think it's the flu. I really think it's just the flu. I mean, everybody gets sick. Everybody, you know, gets these little, you know, minor injuries. They happen. I mean, J.D. Martinez, I think, was out for a little bit with the flu and whatever else he had. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. And like you just said, Price looked like he was genuinely sick on the mound. So you know what? I didn't see it live, but from watching social media and everything, it looked like he was just physically sick and, you know, shouldn't have even been out there. But you wanted to try it. It didn't work out. Oh, well, it happens. Jeremy, you thought? Yeah, a lot, a lot of my answer is built on, like, what I've said and feel about um, I've got a puppy in the background destroying the little toy chest he has, so I'm sorry for that. But um, the uh, a lot of w- what I'm about to say with Price is kind of a product of the way he's handled things in the past. He's he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, right? Because if he goes out and tries, which I think is what he did, he's vilified for leaving the game early. It's like I, you know, but but because you'd think, well, it's Price, so he wouldn't try. Well, here he did, so. You'd like, okay, well, if you tried, then you should have been good enough to go because in the past you don't pitch unless, like, you know, the wind's exactly how you want it and your socks are the right height and your shoes are tied with the right amount of tightness and everything's absolutely perfect because when it's not, you don't pitch. Well, this time he went out there when it wasn't perfect and, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, I do give the benefit of the doubt here. My Terry, you ended your, your comment with, you know, what's the long-term concern here? My long-term concern with David Price will never change. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's always a start away from or a pitch away from a coward decision. I will say that what they're saying within the program and when we get into the probables, I expected to, to address it, but I guess I'll just touch on it briefly now. Like, he's going to start the Tuesday game that's right now a, a TBD because they're saying that he's going to pitch on short rest. He only threw 15 pitches, which is basically your throw day on the third day, you know, so pitch day one, day two, throw day, 15 pitches day four, and then you pitch again. So, I mean, he, he's ready to pitch in two days, which is Tuesday. And I think that's what he's going to do. And if he does, I th- and he pitches well. I think this whole conversation um, is will, will end up being uh, hopefully irrelevant. But you know, all my concerns with David Price are just always there. Well, actually, I, that's a I'm I meant to try to clarify that because uh, I did ask if anyone uh, on Twitter knew who that TBD starter would be. Uh, Weber intrigues me, so I'm going to look forward to seeing him start if if he does. You know. 
Well, Valdi's still out, but um, so if that well, Cora came, Cora came out, uh, Terrence, and said that they're not ruling him out in this series because of the thing, and that he's already feeling better. Okay. Yeah. So. Good. Good. So I'm glad. I'm actually kind of relieved that that could happen uh, because let's see. Well, I guess would he still pitch against the Yankees? Let's see if that's Tuesday. I guess that would line him up for Sunday, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I don't feel so great about it, but um, you know, and you know, I guess he still is the best option either way. But. Um, but so, you know, so there shouldn't at least be any long-term health concerns if, if he is, uh, you know, going to pitch in a couple of days. But um, in losing him, though, I mean that is pretty catastrophic, isn't it? I mean, we we don't death nail, death nail. Yeah, I with Avaldi out and Sale, maybe not. You know, if Sale does go through his late inning, his late season struggles. That's the death nail of prices in a round. I mean, no one else is, you know, I mean, I don't know. That's That would be catastrophic for this season. Absolutely, 100%, in my opinion. I would say, yeah, because, you know, Erod's never pitched more than 137 innings, and he's probably over halfway to that right now. Um, and then, you know, we're hoping for the best with Sale, but not a great late season uh, record of uh, – stamina there and yeah so that's tough um game three today i mean we've kind of gone over that with uh with erod you know definitely exceeded uh everyone's expectations seems to be on the right track do you guys know i kind of touched on it do you guys think that he might have been tipping his pitches a little bit in toronto to kind of get lit up like that against a you know, one of the worst offenses in in every offensive category. There has to be there has to be something there because this is something that hasn't just happened once. It's been a history of Rodriguez with tipping his pitches, and you know, it, people thought that you know the problem got fixed. But sometimes there's just that one start where a team just recognizes everything that he's throwing and are able to capitalize on it. I think that's just the case again, and you know it wouldn't surprise me if he was tipping his pitches again. And he didn't even know it. Yeah, well, I mean, normally they don't, and he had a problem with that in his uh, first or second year, and uh, it had something to do with how he was, you know, holding his glove before the windup, uh, going into his changeup or whatever, and you know it's been an issue and he's got a really slow delivery and so i wonder if that's kind of part of it if he's just focused on you know not giving away anything and i i don't know but i just thought it was really interesting that cora went out to the mound instead of lavangi and cora has always been you know i would say elite at spotting um you know pitchers who do tip he he, he talked about it when uh, the Red Sox lit up Severino in game three of the uh, ALDS, how back in the day, he and Eric Gagne used to make it like a competition back when they were with the Dodgers on, you know, picking up certain tells and and um, I don't know, maybe it was something he saw and he didn't, he didn't answer the question, he just refused to answer it and I don't blame him, you know, for not wanting to do it. Why would you give away information like that 
you know, and that was right, right after Erod's Toronto start. So I just thought it was interesting. And, and then today he was completely locked in. So, you know, I just, I don't know. But he, he will uh, he won't be pitching in the next series, but against the Yankees for sure, and that's in Yankee Stadium where I think he has a sub three ERA now, which is crazy, you know. But you know he's been pretty solid in that ballpark. Any uh, any thoughts, uh, you know, to wrap up the uh, Houston series before we move on? No. No, I mean if if just five, if Erod's tipping his pitches, shame on him. He's been around long enough to to not have that be an issue. So I, I would hope that it's not something that's idiotic, and that it was just poor location um, and execution of his pitches. But if he is tipping his pitches, and the other team knows, and we don't, and you're a fifth or sixth guy, then you're. You, I mean, give me a fucking break. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. The, some guys, I mean, Randy Johnson throughout his whole career was always paranoid that, that he was doing it. And, uh, you know, he had a terrible, you know, postseason record before um, 2001. Well, I mean, look, for, 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 for people that don't play the game, you always grip your most difficult grip first. So, for example, if you're a splitter guy, um, Koji Uehara retired this week. He gripped his splitter and then transitioned into whatever else he was going to throw. And that's kind of a, a universal a, a approach to um, ad- addressing the tipping of the pitches. So if you start your four-seamer or two-seamer, whichever way you throw it, and then you go into the splitter, obviously major league players that watch all the baseball that they watch are going to see you dig into your glove to get the grip. So, I mean, it's just so obvious. I mean, just you, you see that in high school, and you, you just don't see it on the bigger levels of baseball. And... Uh, so if that's an issue or, or glove location somehow, I mean, it's just, it's stupid in my opinion. So I'm, I'm going to choose to think that it was poor execution of his pitches. All right. Fair enough. Um, so do, can we move on or do you guys want to, you know, say anything else about the series or the state of the team before, uh, no, let's move on. Okay. Let's move on. All right. So uh, three-game set starts tomorrow against the Cleveland Indians, who are not quite the uh, Indians of the last few years. Kluber's on the DL. We won't be seeing him. Bauer pitched today, and he might have got rocked. I, I forgot to actually um, you know, check the uh, post-game reports. But nonetheless, we won't be facing Trevor Bauer this time around. Um, on, uh, Wednesday, we have, uh, excuse me, Wednesday, tomorrow at 4 p.m., we're going to be, uh, facing, um, Jeffrey Rodriguez, who, you know, not one of their better guys would definitely be a back end of the rotation. He's going up against Rick Porcello, um, Let's see, I got his stuff right here. He's uh, basically progressively gotten knocked around more and more his last several starts. Uh, His last outing only lasted four innings, gave up five runs on seven hits, uh, four runs on seven hits the game before that. Um, Not a big strikeout guy. This should be, you know, this should be a win for the Red Sox, I would think, in game one. Yeah, I mean, 
to be honest with you, Rick Porcello has been a much better home pitcher than away pitcher for the Red Sox. I mean, he's three and two at Fenway with a three point four one ERA. So it just makes sense for him to for the Red Sox to win this game, especially they're coming home. Their offense loves to hit it at home. They love using obviously the Green Monster for extra base hits and whatnot. It just seems like it's a no-brainer to say that the Red Sox are going to win that first game against the Indians in the series. It's the season of the no-brainers going the other way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and this is coming from a guy who bets on on these games like an idiot. Um, so I, I really, I, I do totally agree with Terry's analysis. Uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez is a middling guy. Porcello's trending in the right direction. Um, he's three and one with a two point seven eight ERA in his last seven starts. So, again, uh, I don't look at his season statistics, which are three and four, four point four five ERA, as an indication of how he's how he's going to pitch tomorrow afternoon. He's been good. He's been really good. He's been uh, three point four one overall at home, uh, which highlights your part, uh, your point, Al. Which he's been even with the four point four five. He's been really, really. He's been a full run better over a full run better at home. Uh, I really do think they'll win this game, Terry. By the way, just before I forget, how are you going to spend your hundred bucks? <laughs> yeah, the, you wait for, those, the for those for those that don't <laughs> for those that I pay my debt. So, but for those who haven't. Uh, maybe didn't listen to our pregame, but Terry and I have a hundred bucks on the Central. I have the Indians, and he has the Twins winning the division. I scoffed him. I publicly ridiculed him for picking the Twins, and then I challenged him to a hundred dollar bet, which he promptly accepted. Which looks like you know he's you know. So I asked Terry, "How do you plan to spend your hundred dollars?" Yeah, well, the good news for you is, I mean, the Red Sox aren't looking terrible, and we do have a second bet. Uh, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, kind of got pretty pessimistic pretty early when we were seven games under. So if they uh, if they make the playoffs, then it'll, it'll all be a push anyway. So, Which, by the way, they're tied for the... The second playoff spot, uh, second wild card spot today, so it yeah. could be a push. But I, I feel like okay. I mean, we we got a better schedule in June, so I, let's just get through this week against two decent teams. But um, just quickly on Porcello, I was scrambling to get his numbers. Um, you know, he's been very solid in his last. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven out of his last eight starts have been quality starts. The one blip was against Seattle where he got knocked around early but then kind of settled down. And I think, the yeah, the Red Sox got the win uh, that day. We swept that series. So, um, you know, I mean, he's this might be the second best season of, of Porcello's career, arguably. I mean, if, if the trend continues and, um, you know, this will be – you know, this Cleveland still has some dangerous guys in the lineup. So, I mean, I'm not going to take anything for granted here, but I love what I'm seeing out of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. I don't know about the second best season of his career, but no, I mean, he's, he had a couple of real bad starts that are, you know, top ending his stats, but no, he's been good. I highlighted it three and one in his last, whatever 
been good. I like it. Yeah, his ERA is still in the mid-fours, but I think that just goes to show how bad he was to start. Uh, All right, game two of the series. Uh, So uh, that kind of answers my question on who the TBA will be. It is David Price. He's going to be making his debut against Zach. Uh, making his debut. <laughs> He's going to be facing a guy who's making his debut, and that's uh, Zach Plesak, who is the nephew of former Mets pitcher Dan Plesak. Um, I did some digging on, on Zach. Uh, he's not a top 30 prospect in the Indians organization, surprisingly. Uh, he was drafted out of the 12th round of the 2016 draft. He had Tommy John that year. Um, three starts this year in uh, AAA uh, for, you know, whatever their AAA team is in the Indians organization. And Ben Solid in all three of them has a 225 ERA. So he goes up against David Price. Kind of impossible to, um, you know, to call this one. I feel like the Red Sox do often struggle against guys that they're they're not familiar with um so but you know david price is going to be the opposing guy and you know looked good against toronto and so i how do you guys see this one going i got the red sox winning this game i mean it it sounds so optimistically boston but it's just I don't know. There's something about this that, I mean, you just said, Terry, they struggle against pitchers they're not familiar with, but everything's been so ass backwards this season. Why not just call it, call it a win? Because once again, Red Sox are at home and they're facing a kid that's making his major league debut at Fenway Park. It just, it doesn't seem like it's going to go well for him in that start under that kind of pressure in that kind of environment. So I got the Red Sox winning that game as well. Yeah, and I, I agree as well. I mean, I, I would never pick the <laughs> pick the guy making his debut, but but yeah, and good point. Fenway Park's a hell of a place to to try to make your debut. There's no other ballpark like it where the fans are like literally on top of you. But you know, Jeremy, what are your thoughts? I don't disagree with anything you guys have said. Um, okay. So I'll just, you know, please that could go either way. I do tend to believe that a guy um, is going to walk into Fenway Park and shit his pants. I think that's more likely than him shoving over six innings. So, um, um, you know, with that said, this is the perfect, th- this is the price situation here where, you know, now he pitched. So the circumstances aren't ideal. I could just easily see him shitting the bed in the start. I could easily see him coming into the post-game press conference and saying, "You know, I, you know, I, I agreed to the start because I didn't pitch, but these aren't ideal circumstances. And when you have un- unideal circumstances, you have unideal results. Just because he's David Price. Uh, at the same thing, I could also see because now he holds all the cards." that he could come out and throw seven and be like, I told you guys it was the flu, you know, I'm fine. You know, we won seven to one. I I went seven strong without a run. So, I mean, I honestly don't know what to think about any of this. Um, I I do lean in the direction of them potentially sweeping the series based on the pitching matchups. So, but I think it'll be two to one. And if, if they lose one of the games, this is the game that I would give the highest probability to. 
It could. And I mean, I don't think any of us are going to feel better about David Price until he goes out there and, and you know, looks kind of dominant like he was leading up to the DL. And his next start, which, like I said, lines up against uh, the Yankees on Sunday in Yankee Stadium, which is his house of horrors. Um, you know, so it's tough to be comfortable right now with, with David Price, but, but like you guys, uh, you know, I think we're all going to lean towards a, a win here. Um, game three is more interesting than you think. Um, that's going to be Chris Sale against, uh, what's his first name? Shane Bieber, excuse me. And, um, this is one of Sale's worst teams, by the way, and I don't think he had to face them last year because of he was out for that time, and I think both Cleveland matchups happened pretty late. So they didn't utterly destroy him like they did uh, the season before in which he had like a 16-something ERA. Th- this probably is his worst team, but it's not quite the same team, and if anyone's thinking Shane Bieber is going to be, you know, kind of a pushover, he's uh, pitched fairly well. He did have a blip three starts ago where he gave up five runs against the White Sox in six and one third, but he bounced back from that bad performance with a nine-inning complete game shutout. Uh, against the Orioles, so take that for what it's worth. But he did strike out 15 batters that game, uh, you know, which is his career high. And then he came back in his most recent start, five innings against the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, gave up four hits, one earned run, uh, struck out 10 in that one. So his uh, strikeout numbers are through the roof. He's got an 117 K through nine, so that's you know definitely elite. And last year uh, he had two starts against Boston. Um, one was pretty good. He gave up three runs over five innings, and then he did kind of get knocked around for six runs in the previous one. So I don't really know what we're gonna we're gonna get from him, but he's definitely trending upward. And I could I Jeremy, you think game two? is, uh, you know, kind of the the shakiest. I'm kind of leaning on that for Game 3, you know, with Bieber versus Sale. What what are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, and look, and I mean, the way way the season's gone is that that (laughs) – I mean, look, if you came into this Houston series, you were probably thinking, well, 1 and 2 are pretty good chances, and Game 3 is probably a loss, and then the exact opposite happens. So this – it's the season of anomalies, and – uh, you know, you hit on Bieber, so I mean, I don't feel any need to go in, in any deeper on him. Um, I do think that Sale is back. I think uh, they smartly kept him to 89 pitches on Saturday, Friday, whatever it was, Friday. So I think he's going to be fresh in this game. I think he's going to be good. Um, could they lose it? Yep. Could they win it? Yep. I put it at 58% chance they win. Um, so it's not like this is, you know, like I'm just, I'm not, I, it's so funny because this series, I could, I, I don't think they'll get swept, right? So um, I see the upside as a sweep based on the matchups, but I also see the downside as one and two and just continued frustration. So, uh, but you were catching the Indians at the right time. 
the next time we see him, and I don't know when that is because I haven't looked that far ahead. Uh, you know, if they're back to who they could be, that this team is could be seriously problematic. So, you know, you got to take advantage of this uh, opponent being weakened and not themselves. And uh, if this team is going to, and we've said this so many times, uh, but if this team is going to make a run, then this would be a good time to jump on a team that's good, but that's not good right now. Al, uh, any thoughts on Game 3? Get the brooms out. It's going to be a sweep. <laughs> Chris Hale is going to come in. He's going to dominate at home because he's going back to pitching like Chris Sale of old. And you know what? Like Jeremy just said, this Indians team is weakened. Like you mentioned earlier, Terry, they're not going to see a pitcher, obviously a Cy Young candidate pretty much every year in Corey Kluber. So if there was ever a time to sweep a team, this is the series. This is the time to do it, and I think they're going to do it and take care of business. That would be nice. Uh, just to jump ahead here, uh, you know, we're going to cover the Yankees in depth on the next episode, but it is kind of painful that Sale is not going to pitch that series, don't you think? And there's, and I look back, and there's nothing you could really do. I mean, you wanted him to pitch against the Astros, and, you know, it's just unfortunate how it lined up. And how painful is it going to be, you know, to watch David Price in that game where he really struggles to get out of the third or fourth inning? Yeah, I'm, look, I'll just say that the way the Yankees are playing – heightens the importance of this Cleveland series because you're probably going to go in there and anything could happen in the next 72 hours, but you could easily go in there and split New York as like a best case scenario, the way things are going, Um, which is amazing because they're so decimated with injuries. Um, But so it just, again, to me highlights the importance of this Cleveland series. You got to win. And if you can, if you can do what Al's suggesting, and I don't think they will, but let's say they do, and then you can sweep New York, not sweep, if you can split with New York, then you go into one of the worst programs in Major League, in, in Major League Baseball in Kansas City, and you could, we could be here uh, 10 games from now uh, and really be looking at uh, a situation where things are going in the right direction. Now, with that said, I've given that hypothetical narrative like 10 times on this podcast, and they just refuse to do it. So who the fuck knows? The Yankees have, um, you know, they they just had a road trip in which they went 7-1. Uh, and one. Granted, you know, that was against the Orioles and the Royals, but... They're not losing games, and um, they could have lost one of the Orioles. They were down 6-1, to one, and the, the Yankees really are the Red Sox of last year, you know, especially in those 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. They just find ways to get back in, and, you know, we just came off a series with the Red Sox where they had the bases loaded in two spots and, and whiffed, and, you know, just painful, and... And, uh, you know, the Yankees are going to be getting some guys back. I guess Judge is going to be hitting off a tee, so he's still realistically, um, you know, out until July. And who knows with Stanton, but eventually they will get some of these pieces back and, in theory, get better. So it just makes me, you know, the urgency is is, is definitely getting up there. And, and, Jeremy, you said on a recent show where, 
you know, we're not week by week. We're not really gaining much ground, and you know, it's you need. We need to start doing that. Yeah, I mean, amazingly, like I said, we're um, the Red Sox are tied for the uh, coming into the Houston series. They were actually a game and a half up in the second wild half uh, wild card. They're now tied, um, but they're only six and a half out. A first, it's not insurmountable, but you know there's got to be a turning point. I, I, I talk about beating a dead horse. I've said this so many times. There's got to be a, a turning point where you stick your foot in the ground and you say that was the point. And I just don't know what's going to happen. I, I just I feel like we're catching Cleveland. Um, and look, we've struggled against Cleveland. The whole Terry Francona dynamic. Uh, we just typically struggle against them. We're catching them at the right time. No Bauer, no Kluber, no Clevenger. Go beat this fucking team, please, Boston. Please, I'm begging you. Uh, also, as a side note, go Bruins tomorrow night, game one. Go uh, yeah, big, it's going to be a fun week of sports, especially if the Red Sox can start winning some games. Absolutely. All right, um, uh, Al, do you want to just one more time uh, let everyone know where they can find you? Yep, so again, if you want to take a look at my Red Sox tweets, sometimes great, sometimes not so great, uh, follow me on Twitter at BigAl2793, capital B and capital A. Uh, if you want to listen to my Red Sox takes, uh, I do a Red Sox podcast for Couch Guy Sports, uh, Into the Triangle, that is with myself and Jared Scally. And then if you want to listen to all Boston sports and coverage of the entire MLB, uh, give a listen to my podcast along with my buddy Tom Powder Cadmus, uh, the Legends Lingo podcast on iTunes. Go check those out. Listen to some average to fairly mediocre takes on Boston sports as a whole. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Uh, thanks for coming on, Al. We certainly appreciate that. And uh, Jeremy, we'll uh, probably see you on, uh, I think it's Wednesday night. Yep. yep. All right. Good night, Al. Appreciate you, man. Yep. Good night, everybody. Night, Thank you. Episode 137 in the books. Another uh, disappointing uh, weekend with the uh, with the Houston Astros. So hopefully we'll get the ship righted with Cleveland. The one thing I failed to mention is Terry Francona still has to. It still has to kind of hurt to come to Fenway. You know the the way it all ended with him after being the first manager to win a World Series, and actually two of them. You know, the only manager in our lifetime to win two. So, you know, pretty painful. And, you know, so maybe there'll be some extra motivation. You know, he likes to flip off the camera, kind of like how I'm doing this right now on Periscope. You know, just a very subtle jab. And, you know, they've gotten the best out of us, you know, the last couple of years during the regular season and, and even more so in 2016 uh, in the month of October when they swept us and then went all the way to Game 7 of the World Series. So, so I don't know. Hopefully we take two out of three. Hopefully we sweep. Who knows? But we'll be back with you on Wednesday night. So uh, have a good holiday if you have tomorrow off. Be safe. Wear your seatbelts, don't drink and drive, and uh, enjoy it. And uh, for all the unfortunate souls that have to go to work, 
Have a good start to your week. Take care. Sure.